Thanks for praying for that, guys. And I uh, want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word and turn to Judges chapter 6. And, you know, I, uh, we were here with the Reality Conference all weekend. Um, and one of the things I, was, I had the opportunity to do was spend time with some of the speakers and uh, shoot some podcasts. And one of the podcasts uh, that I put together was just, just me talking. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we will hear different attacks on the faith in Christianity. And um, uh, that's, this is not what I'm talking about today. Go to Judges chapter 6. Uh, but when we think about where we are in war, and you've got Putin uh, uh, attacking the Ukraine uh, and everything that is going on there, there are a lot of people that use a lot of arguments against Christianity and religion and the faith that are, that are flat out just myths. They're just not true. And one of the ones that they use oftentimes, uh, they'll say, well, you know, if you look over the history of the world, religion has caused most wars in history. How many of you have ever heard that argument? It's all about religion. Um, can, can I just tell you uh, right now that that is patently and provably false if you didn't know that? So if you ever hear that again, you can just look at them and say that is provably false, that religion's don't cause most wars. They don't cause half of the wars. They don't cause 40% of the wars. I'm talking about all the religions of the world, not just Christianity. They don't cause 30% of the wars. They don't cause 20% of the wars. They don't cause 10% of the wars. According to uh, a three-volume set called uh, the Encyclopedia of Wars, it's a big three-volume set, Guess what percentage, the beautiful thing about that whole encyclopedia, they go back over the history of the world, they categorize, I think there have actually been categorized as wars, about 723 or 33 total wars uh, in the history of the world. I mean, talking about big, massive, major conflicts. Not only do they categorize the wars, they count the wars, then they identify the causes of the wars. The causes. And guess what percentage of all the wars in the history of the world have been caused by religion? The number's 7%. A total of 7%. If you add Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, all the religions in the history of the world, exactly 7%. Of that 7%, 4% have been started in the name of Islam. So all the rest of the wars, 3% are started, have been started. They can identify as a cause. All other religions combined. And so guys, if someone walks up to you and says, you know, religion or Christianity has caused most of the wars in the history of the world, you just stop them right there and say, that is bull. That is simply not true. If you just go back to the last over 100 years, let me ask you, was World War I started by religion, because of religion? Absolutely not. What about World War II? Absolutely not. What about the Korean conflict, Korean War? Absolutely not. What about Vietnam? Absolutely not. Uh, What about uh, Afghanistan, the uh, uh, Iraq wars? No. That was because Saddam wanted uh, basically Kuwait's oil, right? That's how that all got started. Uh, what about this war? Is this about religion? has nothing to do with religion. So here's the point. 
If you want to start a war, and if you want to inflict major damage on humanity and torture on humanity, hire an atheist. He's the man for the job. All right? And so, guys, I just want y'all to be prepared to answer stupid questions and stupid challenges to the faith like that. So, we good? Now y'all ready to get into the Bible today? I just thought I'd go ahead and address that. I, I thought I would come in easy and soft early, right? How many of you know? All right. So uh, next time someone comes up to you and says, well, you know, religions caused most war in history, you just look at them and say, that's patently and provably false. You say, are you just dumb or do you just repeat something that other, other people say? In Jesus' name. So... Are we good to go on? All right, all right, good. Now that we've gotten that solved, here's another one that's pretty hard. How about this? Um, a lot, I actually, I had a guy in here who uh, last week said, you know, uh, how do you know what God's will is for your life? And, you know, we're in this series entitled A Man's Handbook. And I will tell you, one of the best things you and I can have in our handbook for life is how to determine, is to know how to determine God's will. How many of you would love to know how to determine God's will for your life? I would. I can tell you as your pastor, uh, there have been many times that I'm like, man, I'm faced with uh, choice A or choice B, and I desperately desire, desperately want to know, God, what is your will in this situation? There have been times that I've chosen B, got about halfway down B and think, I'm pretty sure God wanted me to choose A. Has it that ever happened to anybody in their life? Uh, and, and so I want you to know, when we think about God's will, um, there are a lot of ways to do it. There are a lot of ways to determine it. Probably one of the most well-known ways is found in Judges chapter 6. A guy named Gideon. How many of you ever heard of a guy named Gideon? All right, and how many of you know uh, uh, about Gideon's fleece at least? And a lot of times people say, man, is it okay to put out a fleece? And, and then, then somebody else will say, now, what's a fleece, right? Uh, we don't spend a lot of time uh, with fleeces in our life, nor do we spend a lot of time outside trying to determine God's will. But let me put it in the context and the setting of where Gideon was. If you go look in the book of Judges, which is where we are, Judges chapter 6, Gideon turns out to be the fifth judge that we see in there. And uh, for really prior to when we show up uh, with uh, in Judges chapter 6, the Midianites and those who are eastern warriors were attacking the children of Israel over and over and over again. And a lot of times what they would do is, is they would let the children of Israel in the promised land, they would let them plant and cultivate and care for the crops and when it came time for the harvest, guess what? That's what you do. You wait for somebody else to do all the work. Then you go in and plunder the land, right? How many of you know that? There's, there's no need to go in before they've done all the work. There's no need to go in before the crops are ready. Instead, they would wait and wait and wait. And then all of a sudden, they would come from the east. They would steal everything. For seven years, this had been happening. Now, the children of Israel were a little slow, and, and hopefully you guys uh, are not as slow. The children of Israel kept for seven years going, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Year number two, 
God, why are you allowing this to happen? Year number three, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Four, five, six, and seven. You know what the answer was every year? Why are you crying out to me? When you go to worship, you're worshiping other gods. But when you want to blame a God, you want to blame me. And so lesson thought number one is this. Who are you worshiping day by day? Who are you worshiping day by day? If, if God is allowing Satan to show up in your life over and over and over again, the first question you need to ask yourself is not who do I worship on Sunday morning? Who do I worship on Monday morning? Who do I worship on Tuesday morning? Who do I worship on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday morning? So here's where you are. So you, you have this time where oftentimes the children of Israel would do exactly what you and I do, exactly what we do, which is they waited for it to get so bad that their only answer was to cry out to God. I, I don't know about you, but the children of Israel are not the only people that have ever done that. Do we understand what I'm talking about? Instead of us responding and repenting quickly, sometimes we wait for it to get so bad that we're like, it is so bad, I've now got to ask God to get involved. Guys, don't ever let that be your life. Man, and, and pray that your pastor would never let that become his life, right? We want to, if, man, if things are not going well, we want to stop, pause, and say, God, how do you want me to change my behavior? Because this was a cycle that we see over and over through, uh, throughout the book of Judges. It's throughout the book of Judges you would see over and over again, the children of Israel would, would repent. God would show up, bring them a judge. They would drive back the enemies. Then they would drift into disobedience. God would remove His hand of protection and blessing. Then all of a sudden the enemies would show up. It would take the children of Israel several years to wise up Let's begin to worship the one true God again. That was a cycle we saw, we see throughout the book of Judges. But I will tell you, sadly, it's a cycle we see a lot of times in our own lives, don't we? And so we want to be way smarter than that. And so here in the midst of this session, in, in, in Judges chapter 6, in this season in the children of Israel's life, it's been seven years. The Midianites and the eastern marauders had been coming in, waiting for the harvest, tearing them up. And God shows up to Gideon, a man who is just a man. And God says, Gideon, I want you to lead the children of Israel to respond and attack and resist the Midianites. And it started with him confessing and asking for forgiveness and the children of Israel crying out. And one of the very first things we see, and we think of two different things when you think about Gideon, my guess is we think about the fleece in determining God's will, and then we also think about his force. Remember, once he finally decides, all right, God wants me to do this, he starts out with 32,000 soldiers. How many remember the story? Then God cuts it back, 22,000 soldiers. He ends up with 10,000 soldiers. Then God said, that's still too many, and he ends up with 300 soldiers. We remember really those two, the fleece and the force. But ultimately, here's the key. When we have God on our side and we have determined His will, it doesn't matter how many people go with us, how many of us know that. So part of our man's handbook, I wanted to talk to you just from Gideon as to how we can determine God's will for our life. And I will tell you this, it's not just that we've got to carry a fleece outside. We have the ability as men in our day 
to use way more resources to determine God's will than Gideon did in his day. Man, we've got God's word, we've got principles, we've got church history, we've got spiritual leaders around us. Man, we have the opportunity over and over and over to determine God's will. The question is, will we use it? But let's jump in. Uh, let's, let's look at Judges chapter 6. Let's pick it up in verse 36. Here's what it says. So uh, God has sent an angel or an epiphany of Christ, whatever you want to say, but God shows up to Gideon. And so Gideon says, Gideon, I want you to go lead the children of Israel uh, to overthrow the Midianites. Let me tell you what, the Midianites were bad dudes, folks. They were, they were bad dudes. They knew how to attack you. They were willing to fight. They were willing to fight to the death. And so here's what it says, beginning in verse 36. It says, Gideon said to God, so Gideon's begin to say, God, do you really want me to be the one that leads the children of Israel to go attack, attack the Midianites and the eastern marauders. He says, God, uh, Gideon said to God, God, if you will save Israel, listen to this, by my hand as you have promised. What is he saying? What is your will, right? He's saying, is this something you really want me to do? Now, if you remember the story, uh, who, who knows what was Gideon doing when the angel of God showed up to him? What was he doing? Huh? He was hiding. Basically, he was hiding. He, he was not out in the open. He was not standing there with sword drawn. He was not standing there in full armor of God saying, bring it on Midianites. He was hiding out, and God showed up to him and basically said, what are you doing here? I have chosen you to lead the children of Israel to defend your land, to push them back. And Gideon says, hang on. How do I know? God, it is your will for me to be the one to stand up against them. Now jump to verse 37. He says, look, here's what Gideon says. Here's the deal he made with God. Here's how I want to determine your will. He, he says, listen, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. So here's what we at least have. Gideon has moved from hiding to at least testing to see if God really wants him to do progress. He's no longer in the wine press hiding, but he's not yet in obedience. He's trying to determine if this is God's will. He says, if there, once I put out the fleece on the threshing floor, if there is dew only on the fleece and all the, all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hands as you have said. And that is exactly what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew uh, to a bowl full of water. So here's what happened day one. Uh, the fleece was wet and the ground was dry. So then Gideon said, I know it's your will. I'm ready to go. Is that what Gideon said? He goes, all right, all right, all right. I got another one for you, God. Right? I got another one for you. All right, yeah. Are you sure? Was, you know what he was saying? So maybe the three things we need to know uh, Gideon for is, is the fleece, the floor, uh, the, the fle fleece, the force, and the fluke, right? He says, all right, God, that must have been a fluke. I don't know how all that water ended up in the fleece, but he said, let me test you one more time. How many of you, be honest, have done that to God? Okay, the others are total, liar, total liars. Okay, you're a complete liar. I've done this. I will tell you as your pastor. I prayed and prayed and prayed and said, God, just show me. Tell me what to do. God shows me and tells me what to do and says, all right, God, here's what I'd, I'd like you to show me again, right? 
Show me again. So he says, hey, Lord, uh, don't be angry with me. Uh, he says, uh, as you said, don't be angry with me. Uh, he says, do not be angry with me. Let me make what just one more request. And I can almost just see God rolling his eyes. I knew this was coming. How many of you knew God knew this was coming? Uh, he says, allow me to test you one more time with this fleece. He says, but this time make the fleece dry and the ground covered in dew. Verse 40, that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground around it was covered in dew. So what is the response? Here's what we know. That Gideon, from that moment on, said, God, I know your will. And here's the second key. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be obedient. See, guys, a lot of times I think we do determine God's will for our life, but we don't follow it in obedience. And I want you to know I've been there, right? Haven't we all been there? I know God's will. God, show me your will. God, show me your will. God shows us his will, and we don't follow it with obedience. And so, guys, today, here's, here's, the, here's the kind of the thought as we journey forward. And I'm going to give you some principles in determining God's will for your life. And I want you to know that none of it today is going to have anything to do with the fleece and the dry ground. It's going to have, with, have to do with biblical principles we find in God's Word. But if you memorize all these principles, if you put them into practice but you never engage in obedience, you will never find the victory God wants you to have. You will never have the victory that God wants you to have. And you think in Gideon's case, neither will those around you. If God calls you to do something, guys, you need to do it. So as we think about this idea of Gideon, let me, let me give you some thoughts on God's will. You might want to just write these down. Here's thought number one. Don't ever think that God's will is hidden or hard to find. Don't ever think that God's will is hidden or hard to find. We got God's Word. We've got the Bible. Throughout God's Word and throughout the Bible, we are told a lot of things already that are God's will. Let me tell you, Gideon didn't have this. He didn't have the pleasure and the luxury of opening his Bible. He didn't have the pleasure and luxury of doing a Google search. What is God's will? Bible verses. How many of you know we can do that, right? There are some of those. He didn't have that pleasure. He had to pray. He had to worship. He had to think. But we have that opportunity day by day to read God's will. Let me tell you one of God's wills. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Here's one example of how for us as a church, us as men, us as the people of God, that God's will is not hidden from us. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. He says, this is good and pleases God. How many of you know if it's good and it pleases God, it's probably God's will, right? If it's good and it pleases God, it's probably God's will. So what is good and what pleases God, our Savior, look at this, who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? So as a church, general principle, general principle, there are a lot of things we could do. There are a lot of songs we could sing and worship. There are a lot of versions of the Bible I could preach out of or teach out of. There are a lot of things we could do as men in our church. But if we want to please God and fulfill His will, it's got to be about reaching people for Jesus Christ. How many of you know that? Right? That's a general principle for us as men and us as a church. 
that we can do a lot of things. But how many times do we focus on the little things, the things don't, that don't matter, and miss the big things in life, right? And so just remember this. One thing that you and I need to have in our mind is that at the end of the day, God sent His Savior to you and me so that we would share it, share Him with somebody else. So if we are on a path heading in a direction that we are about reaching someone else for the gospel, you can understand that it is good and it pleases God. So thought number one on knowing God's will, God's will is not hidden, and I'll submit to you it's not hard to find. I'm talking about His general will. All right. Here's thought number two. God's will is not just general, it is also personal and practical. See, there are certain things in life that we understand, generally speaking, this is God's will. But also we need to understand God's will is personal for me. God's got me in a different setting and a different situation than He has another pastor or another pastor or another pastor. We've got staff that God has them in different positions in different places. And then God has you. Some of y'all are in different stages of life. Some of y'all have different family situations. Some of you have different occupations, right? And so listen to this. Not only is God's will general for all of us, it's also personal and practical. And so the question oftentimes is, what does God want me to do in this situation? And that's a legitimate question. That's a legit. What does God want me to do? Let me tell you, you might want to write this down. This is almost always the answer. The one thing God doesn't want you to do is to do nothing for His kingdom. Right? That is never God's will for our lives that we would do nothing for His kingdom. God's will is general, yes, but it's also personal and practical. Look at this. You can see this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. He says, each of you, everybody say, that's me. All right, y'all better do it again, or it's going to be a slow read right here, boys. <laughs> each of you, say, that's me. All right, that's us. That's the personal aspect of it. Should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So here it is. So general will is it pleases God when people are saved. Specific will, personal will, each one of you, 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 including me, should use whatever gift you have to serve others. All right, we're moving toward a specific will, general will. God wants people to be saved. More personal and practical is God has gifted every man in this room, every man on Zoom, every man that will listen to this later. God has gifted you and talented you to serve others. So here, we're getting to your specific will, whether I should turn left or right, but in general, what should we as men of God be doing? We should be about making sure that we please God by seeing others come into the kingdom. We should use the gifts we have to serve others as good stewards of the grace that God has given us, right? So here, I'm, notice how we're creating a flow in our life, right? I know what pleases God. I understand that same God that saved me, gave me gifts. Now I should be using those gifts to serve others. Why? Because I want to be a good steward. How many of you want to be a good steward of the talents and gifts that God has given you? All right, so here's number three. Let's jump down. Not only is God's will not hidden or hard to find, it is personal, it is practical, but here's the next thought. God's will is profitable. How many of you, like, how many of you own your own business? 
How many of you like to be profitable? How many of you don't like to be profitable? All right, I don't want to do business with you if you don't like profit. Well, actually, maybe I do, right? I want you to spend way more on me on the service provide, you provide than, than, than what I pay you, right? No, we want to be profitable in life. So how does he say to do that? Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. Here it is. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So here it is. God has a general will that it pleases Him that everybody would be saved. God has specifically given, personally, each of us gifts in this room. Part of those gifts, or the reason for those gifts, is that they would be used in a practical sense to serve others so I could be a steward of God, understanding that when I practice God's will in my life, it will be profitable. See, that's an incredible thing, guys. If you want to see success in your life and your ministry, that if we use the gifts God has given us, we are absolutely going to see God bless. That's a promise right there. He says, man, whatever it is, don't ever become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, Galatians 6, 9, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. All right, so we've gone from a general will to a personal uh, gifting that should serve others. When we use our personal gifting to serve others, it will be profitable. All right, so now, Pastor, how do we get down to determine what is God's will for my life? All right, those are the general principles. Here's thought number one. You ready? Here, give, me a, give you a thought number one. When there is a command in God's Word, obey it. When there is a clear command in God's Word, always obey it. You know, we prayed a few minutes ago, but can I just tell you, if there is a command in God's Word, you don't have to pray about obeying, obeying it. Do you understand that? You say, did the pastor just say you don't have to pray about something? Absolutely. If there's a command in God's Word that you would do this or don't do that, you don't even have to pray about whether you should obey it. You say, where? Exodus chapter 20, Ten Commandments. How many of you know we ought to obey the Ten Commandments? How many of you know you don't even have to pray about it? If you're standing at your neighbor's front door and you know they're out of town because they told you they're out of town, do you have to pray about whether you should go in their house and steal everything they have? No, don't even bother, right? There's a command that says, do not steal from one another. I don't even have to pray about that, right? If, if, if someone asks you a question and you don't like the person they're asking the question about, and you would really love to see them humbled in Jesus' name. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Should you pray about whether God would want you to lie about them or not? No, there's a command. Don't lie, right? Even if it makes your arch enemy look good, don't lie. Tell the truth, right? So there are certain things in our life that it's very clear. And when God's Word and when God's will is clearly stated in God's Word as a command in a do or a don't, you don't have to pray about it. You just obey it. So just journey on. Let me give you a couple. Let me, let me just journey to the New Testament. You might want to write these down. Here are a couple of places 
in the New Testament, not just in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 20, 10 commandments, a lot of other commands. Some of the commands were just dietary commands in the Old Testament, clearly given to the children of Israel that do not apply in the New Testament. But here are some clear commands that we see in the New Testament of what is God's will. You might want to put these to memory or commit these to memory. So as you begin to determine God's will for your life, you will know these. Here, let me give you one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Here's part of God's will for your life. Life, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all situations. Why? For this is God's will in Christ Jesus. So when you're asking yourself, should I go A or should I go B? Should I choose A? Should I choose B? The first question you need to ask yourself, am I doing my best to follow, follow all of God's commands? Second thing, am I one who rejoices always, Praise continually and gives thanks in all circumstances. That's one, right? Right there. Here's another place in God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, where we hear God's Word is clearly stated. Notice what Peter says. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Part of God's will for your life is what? That by living a righteous life, not a self-righteous life, but a good life that just our living and acting and talking would silence the conversation of ignorant people. What does that mean? That as we live in general, obeying God's command, that as men of God, how many of you know as followers of Christ, as men of God, the world is going to mock us? How many of us know that? How do you silence that? I started off by addressing a myth that is used against Christianity. Sure, I gave you the facts, but at the end of the day, my best testimony, your best testimony, our best testimony, in a, in a world that wants to mock men who follow Christ, it's with my good life, right? That I'm just going to tell the truth, I'm going to love people, I'm going to be who God wants me to be, I'm not going to be perfect, and I'm not going to pretend to be perfect. But that's, notice what it says, for it is God's will. It's God's will that by doing good. So are you doing good? Are you doing good? Notice we had the general will, a personal will, a profitable will. Here we're getting a little more specific. He says by doing good. So whether I choose whether I'm going to go A or B, option A or B, am I doing good? All right, here's another one. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. It says, for it is God's will. Here's the same word again. It is God's will, third time in the New Testament, that you should be sanctified. In other words, pure. Are you living a pure life? Are you sanctified? Are you set apart for God? That you should avoid sexual immorality? That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable? not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Know God. So are you, are you noticing as we journey through understanding and determining God's will for my life, what we're seeing, that there's a general will for God, there's a personal aspect where He's got, given us gifts. We're supposed to use those gifts to serve others, to bring them into the kingdom of God. Not only that, as we journey forward and we think about there are some clear commands in God's Word, do this, don't do this, before I ever got, ask God's will for my life, whether I turn left or right, choose A or B, I need to apply those principles to my life. 
And then life becomes way, way, way easier. And so here's your thought as we just continue on. When God's word is clear, just simply obey. Here's, a, here's another thought up. When there is no command, when there is no command, use biblical principles and wisdom, then operate in your Christian freedom. Operate in your Christian freedom. You know, there are, how many of you know there are times in life when option A and option B, you really can't find them in Scripture? You're kind of going, all right, what major should I choose in college? You going to be an engineer or are you going to go into marketing? If you're going to be an engineer, you're going to go into sciences? You're going to go into architecture? You're going to go into some sort of IT work, right? See, there, there are really a, a lot of things in our life that we're given a lot of freedom in, guys. There is no place that I see as we journey through God's Word that God's will is a burden on men who serve Him. God gives us a lot of flexibility. And guys, when there is no command, live in wisdom and live in freedom. And you just enjoy life. Why? Remember, we're already following the principles, right? I'm doing good. I'm staying sexually pure. I'm not letting lust drive me in life. And those are clear principles I can live. And then when I get to a place where it's A or B, I think God gives us some wisdom. Now listen, if B looks like a train wreck, choose A in Jesus' name. How many of you know? I think God gives you that freedom. And as you think about it, look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, as we think about operating in Christian freedom and will. He says, therefore, Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. Remember, what did he just say? Man, we need, we need to rejoice always. We need to pray continually. We need to give thanks in every circumstance. This is God's will for your life. Then notice what else he said. He says that you would live a life that you are doing good, and silence the talk of ignorant people. Then what did he say? Abstain from sexual immorality. Don't let lust drive your life. Now notice what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He's beginning to open up the doors of freedom. He's not trying to constrict us. Here's what he says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Why? This is your true and proper worship. Look at verse 2. But as you journey through life in your freedom, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So notice the, free, the, the freedom that we have. Once I've applied the principles to my life, I've let it become personal. Now I live in purity. Then I can journey forward in wisdom. Testing and approving. What, what does it mean to test and approve something? That means you take something and you test it, right? So I will take it. Option A, option B. Begin to look at those situations and test them. Prove them. Make sure they're right. 
And then ask God to give you wisdom to determine which way to go and which one to do. Uh, and then once you figure it out, let's go to James, the brother of Jesus. Here it is. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. So if you apply the principles, let it be personal. I'm serving others. I'm living a righteous life. I'm doing good so that I can silence the talk of ignorant men. Then I apply God's principles, and I'm not breaking a command, so both avenues are open. Then if I understand, I determine A, look, look at A, and look at B, and I determine God wants me to choose B. Once God has told you to choose B, or God has told, told you to choose A, it is sin for you not to do that. But it's not sin for someone else not to do that. Does that make sense? See, a lot of times we come to personal conscious decision where we really feel like God has told me that I shouldn't do this or I should do that. And here's where we get in trouble, guys, with God's will. is when God has given me a specific call on my life, that is applying to my conscience and my, the way He put me together and the way He built me, it's when I then say everybody that doesn't make that choice, they're living in sin. That becomes a problem, right? That I want to journey forward in such a way that I'm like, man, I have lived my life in such a way that this decision is, in fact, my decision. Here's another thought you might want to write down. We're going to run through this. Man, when you've acted according to biblical principles and biblical commands and God's wisdom that He's given you, trust that God will work it out. Trust that God will work it out. And let me add to that. If at any point you determine maybe you missed it, change directions. See, that's the beauty of God's grace. I can tell you this, as your pastor for 26 and a half years, and, and, and please don't pipe in here, staff. There have been times that I felt called to do something, even sometimes they're like, we really want to do that. And, and I go, I really think this is what God wants us to do. And we begin to do it. And then I have to come back and say, I really don't think God wanted us to do that. <laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about? I can tell you blessings, God, through their staff and leadership. There are a lot of times we were like, boy, we nailed this. We nailed this. And guys, that'll be the same way in your life. There are going to be times if you live with those principles, obey the commands, live in personal purity. If you're saying, God, in my heart, and you make a decision, you're going to sit there and go, nailed it. And you're just going to see God pouring His blessings all over you. There are going to be other times when you say, I think I may have missed that. And guys, can I tell you? If you've lived according to His commands, if you sought Him with a humble and pure heart, if you're good to other people, if you're serving other people, if you're using those gifts, if you come to a place and a space and a decision that you've made and you feel like you missed it, that's when you just live in God's grace and say, God, where do you want me to go from here? Where do you want me to go from here? Here, here let me give you one final thought. Let God's Spirit lead you because there are times, like I just said, times when God will stop you. Look at, look at Acts chapter 16, verse 6 and 7. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region uh, uh, of you can say those and you can say that other place, having been kept, and so it might be McKinney or, 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 or Allen or Frisco or Plano, whatever it is, just put in your place, 
having been kept by the Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Look at verse 7. Then when they came to the border of another place, maybe in your life, they tried to enter there, a different place, maybe in your life, add your city. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. There are times, man, once I've applied all the commands and all the principles, I'm living according to God's Word, then I'm sensitive to God's Spirit. That there are times in our lives that we've done everything we can to live according to God's will, and we begin to take a step forward, and God's Spirit says, don't do that. And what's our call? To say, all right. How many of you know that preaching the gospel is a good thing? Kind of interesting. The Spirit said, don't go there and preach. There are times in our lives where God's Spirit will even tell us not to do something that's a good thing. But when He does that, go read it's because He's about to show us a better thing. Let's pray. God, thank You so much for the opportunity just to live in such a way that we can live our lives seeking You, serving You, and then ultimately celebrating the fact that You let us in as broken men on Your will, not just for the world, not just for our church, but for me personally. God, I pray that everyone here would leave today as a Gideon, willing to say, God, use me to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. You all have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Men's Bible Study. For more information about Cottonwood Creek Church, visit cottonwoodcreek.org. That's cottonwoodcreek.org.